Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about fear. And uh, I decided to talk about fear in the last five seconds. <laughs> That's what came to mind, is that people are afraid. And fear is a tremendous, powerful tool in the hands of evil people. They can manipulate whole societies, whole nations, simply by the use of fear. And what is fear but the antithesis of faith? Why are we afraid if we believe, if we have faith, if we actually believe there's a God and we trust in God and we think, he, think He's a God of righteousness? Why would we be afraid of anything? Fear not. I mean, how many times does it say that in the Bible? Fear not. Well, recently I heard a show that somebody sent me who was on the network. Uh, it was one of these coast-to-coast -coast shows, and it had a particular individual. Um, I was trying to think of what his name is. Uh, uh, Blake Sawyer. And uh, he was talking about bugging out, getting out of the United States. And there, there's a huge amount of people who want to get out, especially after the not-too-distant election uh, for the President of the United States. They see that there is a polarization of Americans, that uh, they want something over here and they want something else over here. There, And this always takes place in democracies. Uh, that's really the point of a democracy almost, at least those who manipulate them, is to divide the people into two different sections where they are afraid, where they are uh, fearful of this and they are fearful of that. It doesn't really matter what you're afraid of. As long as you're afraid, they can override reason and they can keep you divided. And if you are divided people, arguing amongst yourself, bickering amongst yourselves. I mean, Christianity, there's there's a religion of division. Uh, Muslims, there's, you know, you got Shiites and Sunnis and they kill each other and they're supposed to be both Muslims uh, following after some single leader. And we point out in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, that Abraham was actually the, the forefather of numerous religions and religious sects. He didn't start them, but they all claim him. They all look back to him. And if we go to Genesis 15:1, we see after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In Genesis 26:24, we see Isaac and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham. Thy father, fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. 
So what was Abraham? Abraham was a man of faith. We hear him spoken of in the New Testament as the man of faith. The seed of Abraham is the seed of faith in us. And of course, that's one of the things about faith is faith is a gift. It's something that grows in us. It's a seed. It's something given. It's a life of its own. It is the root, uh, or at least it is rooted in the tree of life and the Holy Spirit. And it gives us life if we act upon our faith. Faith is uh, one of the byproducts of faith is revelation, understanding. And when we are given understanding, we must act upon it to make room for growth. Growth of what? Growth of faith. And in the growth of faith, fear is diminished. You must exercise your faith. And that doesn't mean go to church, wave your hands, say a few prayers, get really in your devout mood. I always thought it was funny when I would see, or peculiar, I used to say funny, not funny, ha-ha funny, when I see people getting ready to pray and they put on their prayer face. I see similar things when certain people who have problem with overeating and eating too much and they're very fixed on food, when they sit down to the table, there's a, a level of unconsciousness that actually comes over them. If you watch them carefully and closely, you will see that they are moving into their eating mode, their eating consciousness. And they will sit there and they'll eat this food, consuming the food. It's very important to them. It gives them life. It gives them life, not just their body. Their body's overweight anyway. But it gives them a sense of being alive as they take in that physical food. But God says, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. And if we are to be secure, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to call on? The fact is the world today is very fearful. And it is actually I was astounded. You go way back to 911. That's what astounded me more than the attack or whatever it was, was the fear that came over people. People stopped flying planes everywhere. They were afraid to go down and fly planes. Well, the idea of anything like that happening a second time, and especially immediately after the first time, is absurd. As you know, somebody with a dark, swarthy skin got up to go to the bathroom, and several passengers jumped them on a plane weeks later because they thought, "Well, what's he doing?" You know, because people were become. Of course, that was fear too. But the fact is, is 300 people could easily overpower somebody if they thought they were going to do something like fly the plane into a building. They could have stopped this from day one. And one of the reasons they supposedly were unable to stop it, for whatever bizarre reason, why the plane wasn't completely full and things like that, was always strange to me because normally would be. But what was setting all those peculiarities of the in, or surrounding these incidents that caused so much fear in people thousands of miles away so that they were afraid to get on a plane uh, was astounding. But the fact that anything like this could even take place has to do with a trend in society based upon the structure of our society where it's not your job. It's not your job to protect somebody who's being attacked 
you know, you just sit there and somebody else will take care of everything. The spirit of the Minutemen of America is gone. And there wasn't that many Minutemen back then. It was only about a third of the population, maybe not even that. But the idea that, you know, we see this every day in the news where people are raped in the streets, people are robbed, people have their homes taken away, their children taken away, and almost nobody comes to their aid because it's not their business. And I brought this up before that Christ said the weightier matters, that we were to tend to the weightier matters, and pastors all over the country don't even know what the weightier matters are that Christ listed off, yet they're students of the Bible. To, to me, that's absolutely shocking. Of course, I've seen so much talking to people who supposedly know the Bible and read the Bible, and I, I quote this verse after this verse after this verse, and they, they're completely unfamiliar with New Testament verses coming right out of the mouth of Christ. And they wonder why they're afraid. And what do they do when they're afraid? They elect leaders. But they're not really leaders. They're electing rulers. There's a difference between a leader and a ruler. A leader is someone you may choose to follow. He may say, I think we ought to go this way, but you still have the choice as to whether you're going to go or not. In this day and age, most governments, you do not elect leaders, you elect rulers. They make law for you. They rule over you. They tell you what you're going to contribute. They tell you what you're going to keep. They tell you how much you're going to work and, and what you're going to have and what you're going to get paid in. They determine all these things. Because you're not electing leaders, you're electing rulers. The fact that you are in a state or condition where you elect rulers is a sign. It is evidence. It is a clear evidence that you have already rejected God. And whatever you're doing in your churches, it's barely heard. If you start turning around, just start turning around, and going back the other way, where you stop looking to other men to rule over your neighbor on your behalf so that you may feel secure, God will come out and meet you. But you have to start and you must continue. You must put your hand to the plow. This is what Christ was talking about. This is what John the Baptist was talking about. Turn around. Stop being afraid. Start trusting in God. Start trusting in the ways of God. Start following the ways of God. In Exodus 20.20, 20, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Sin. What was the sin? It's a sin to covet your neighbor's goods. It's a crime in the kingdom of heaven to covet your neighbor's goods. It is a crime in the kingdom of heaven to make covenants with men so that they become your ruling judges. One of the most astounding, simple, clear evidence that the church is an absolute total apostasy is that they do not tell you the meaning of the word God. We have people who are leaving the O out of the word God as if somehow or other God is a sacred word. God is a descriptive word. Elohim in the Old Testament, Theos in the New Testament, it can be a noun. It can be an adjective. It means a ruling judge. That's what it means. A ruling judge. It was used for judges throughout 
the empire of Rome, uh, Theos, that's what you call the judge. If you were in Israel, in Judea, you would address a magistrate, Elohim. If the translators tell you that everywhere you see the word God, it means the divine God, and everywhere you see God with a small g, it means some sort of pagan deity, they're lying to you. You can go to your Strong's Concordance and know that the word God means ruling judge. Go and cry out unto the gods which you have chosen for yourself. The ruling judges you have chosen for yourself. In elections in almost every country around the world, that's what you're electing. Is the gods of your nation, the ruling judges of your nation, or you're you're electing the men who will appoint the judges throughout your country, throughout your nation. That's a rejection of God. That is a violation of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have any other ruling judges before me, God the Father. Now, how does the God the Father rule and judge? Is that a theocracy? We may talk about that today. We may define the word theocracy more than once and see if you understand what a theocracy is and how a theocracy can work. Now, if you don't understand the faith of Jesus Christ, you and you are gathering together with other people, you do not want to be in a theocracy. But we're going to, we're going to explore these things. One of the things I was amazed at in talking to people that were in and involved in a recent election in the country in which I dwell in, and uh, is the fact that they are ruled by sound bites and phrases and words. Words and phrases. Uh, I talked to one individual who started talking about capitalism. Capitalism is destroying this country. <laughs> and I thought, what are you talking about? You own a store. Why, why are you against capitalism? Well, it's taking over this country. It's ruling. It's extremely flawed. I said, what do you think capitalism is? And he starts to explain it. I realized, you don't know the definition of the word capitalism. Capitalism is where the ownership of the means of production are privately owned. The means of production are privately owned. That's private property. You can actually own something. That's capitalism. That's it. That's the totality of capitalism. What he really was against, and then in about two minutes of conversation, I began to realize what he was really complaining about is corporatism. Not capitalism. Now, this man's been to college. He has a degree. But he doesn't know the difference between capitalism and corporatism. And he's throwing around these words and phrases, you know. Uh, he, he's a kind of a funny guy. He won't allow, he won't take EBT cards, which is your food stamps, your uh, uh, cards that they, uh, that people who are on welfare use to get food and, and other things. And he won't take them. He is so much against that. Yet he voted for Obama. Uh, in the recent election, actually voted in both elections of Obama. That seems strange to me. I says, well, you are so much against welfare. 
and people, because he sees people drive up in $30,000, $40,000 rigs, and they want to know if you take the EBT card. And he's thinking, like, I can't afford these rigs. I work every day. <laughs> and you got you come in with these cards. How does that work? And so he, he gets all upset and emotional, and that's what's driving, you know. Fear breeds anger, resentment. Fear breeds a clouded thinking. Because you're not driven by reason. And God is reasonable. But everybody who is driven by reason isn't necessarily as reasonable as God because they have fear in them. It's kind of like the barking dog. Why does the barking dog bark? Because he's afraid. He's trying to intimidate you because he's afraid that you might be a danger. And this is why many intellectuals learn so much information. They think, if I have all this information, I can protect myself from all the things that I'm afraid of. I used to study real hard in school. I didn't always. When I first started going to school, I went to private schools. Uh, I was pretty much a can candidate for Ridlin. Fortunately, they didn't have that yet in the school, so I never got any, but... I would, if I was born, you know, 30 years later, I probably would have been put on Ritalin, too much to my uh, devastation. But uh, I was pretty precocious. But all of a sudden, I got interested in studying. It was vanity that drove me to it. And I noticed the harder I studied, the poorer my grades got. The more I became ambitious about it, the more I became guilty, the more I became guilty, the more... I could not seem to retain the facts and information. Finally, going through all the lessons of school, which had nothing to do with academia, mostly it had to do with human nature, I finally got to a point where I didn't really care. I, you know, I had gotten good grades. I had gone to college. by I was actually attending college courses by the time I was 13, 14 years old, and at least with college professors. And... But when I was supposedly supposed to graduate from high school, according to the California rules on education, I was like 16 years old and uh, uh, already had taken these other courses uh, at a very young age. And I would, had already taken all the senior English classes and stuff like that uh, that we would normally have to take. And so the school I was in was saying that I could go on to college and just take one course at the high school and then take the other courses at the local college. My folks moved. I went to another school and the priest at that school said, oh, we're not going to have any of that. And he was going to make me sit through classes that had the same books I had already studied or I wasn't going to graduate. That was the, He just was angry individual and that's what he was going to have it that way and I suddenly lost all interest in going on to college his anger just made me not interested at the same time I was going through some interesting discoveries in my own life understanding more about what meditation really is what prayer really is and just these personal discoveries and I lost interest in you know, getting the, the great grades and all that stuff and, and studying, but I also was not as easily distracted. And I just sat 
in the classrooms and paid attention to what was going on around me, which was usually what the priest was saying or brother or wherever it is, layman who was teaching us. And I listened to what they had to say and I noticed things. And my awareness just became greater and greater. I didn't notice it was getting greater and greater, but suddenly my grades just shot up. I no longer even took books home to study at night. Everything I needed to know I retained during the day. I mean, occasionally I had to do some reading, but uh, basically I could get everything in the classroom without any difficulty and retain it. And I wasn't trying. It was just coming natural. I actually took SAT tests and I just was the most relaxed student. Everybody else was getting all nervous taking these tests. And I just went and took it because I didn't care what happened. I, didn't, I was losing, I was not in that current of fear and having to learn and having to perform. That wasn't important to me. And it was kind of like it was when I was in first grade, second grade, third grade, where I didn't really care uh, about, I just was in the flow of the moment and things flowed quickly for a, a six and seven year old child. <laughs> And so I was, I was pretty obnoxiously rambunctious. But, uh, anyway, uh, in, th in this period, being older, you know, I was now, uh, term 17 during this process and, uh, was approaching graduation and getting all these high grades and, uh, not doing any studying to get them, taking SAT tests and scoring extremely high on these tests. And just seeming to know the answers. I would just look at the test and I, I would know the answer. It was almost to the point where I could go down and say, Oh, B, C, uh, this one should be A, without even hardly reading the question. But I did read them. And I just seemed to know. And the answers just came to me. And I believe that that's actually the case. When you step out of the fear, and therefore also step out of the anger, step out of the personal ambition, and just do what's right in the moment. I decided that my folks were sending me to school, so that's where I should be, because I should obey my parents. And so when I was in school, I was actually in school. I would, that's where my brain was, too. And I listened, and I observed everything about me and around me. And I was relaxed, and I was laid back, and I was doing better. And the truth is, it was because I was beginning to have faith. I was beginning to act upon what I knew. And I could go on and tell you all the interesting stories I had uh, in confronting many of the things that, you know, when you grow up in this parochial school, they have very, especially I went to seminary for a number of years, and we lived in a very controlled thinking environment. And we were taught to think a certain way, or supposedly. I wasn't very good at thinking a certain way. And I was now kind of overcoming all the guilt and the uh, fear and the uh, uh, prejudice of modern religion during this period. And confronting it without anger or resentment. And it was freeing me because I wasn't afraid. I didn't need, I never needed when I was younger, but this is where I kind of fell into it, is that I needed approval. I suddenly liked approval that I got, and I wanted more. And that's vanity, and that's pride. And pride leads to fear, and fear to anger, 
and anger to a cloud of judgment and you become a lost sheep. You become outside of the stream of God's consciousness, of His righteousness. And so, we're going to talk about getting away from that fear and how you do it. And coming to peace. And coming to the flow of the tree of life. So that you may have life more abundant. When we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we hope you'll be there. And start learning more about the ways of Christ. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about fear, and we're talking about fearing not. Which that would mean that we're also talking about faith. Because where faith abides, fear cannot live. And we quoted Exodus 20.20 where Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you. To prove you, to test you, to come up in your face. God's going to get in your face. But he tells you to sin not. Now, what were they doing in Egypt? They were in Egypt because they had cast their brother into bondage. And so they themselves went into bondage. What was that bondage like? Well, all their gold and silver was in the hands of the government. They did not own lawful title to their uh, land, which gold and silver is just portable land. They did not have lawful title to their labor. A portion of the labor could be taken away, only 20% for them, but it could be taken away every year and by the government. And the government provided them with certain welfare. You know, if there was a shortage of food, they made sure that nobody starved, so everybody kind of could get their food stamps from uh, the pharaoh. And he would provide them with food stamps. Uh, probably didn't call it food stamps, just like using the term food stamps today is kind of outmoded. They're supposed to call it, I guess, an EBT card. I don't have any idea what that stands for. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they uh, what's happened today in America, during the Depression, you saw food lines. You know, they take pictures. You see them in the newspaper of, of food lines that were stretched out in the streets. And there were food kitchens. Many of them were privately owned food kitchens. But there were food kitchens feeding people who were hungry, who were out of work, who didn't have money. Sometimes shelters all over the place. Uh, many of these shelters had existed long before the Depression because that's where people went. They went to charity places. Uh, America before entitlements. There's an actual article up that talks about it. And they really don't do it justice uh, because they don't even mention churches. And churches were a huge source of aid to the people uh, back in the early 20s and, and before. Uh, but uh, there was uh, this uh, the republic 
But the Republicans want us to repeal the 20th century, so says this uh, House Democratic Henry Waxman. I could hear people calling in on the other line, and I was making sure that wasn't you calling back to connect me up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're good. Okay, House uh, Democrat uh, Henry Waxman uh, fumed uh, against uh, his colleagues, saying the Repu Republicans want to, us to repeal the 20th century, as if the 20th century is a good thing. I mean, we do have color TVs now and everything. But uh, you hear these sound bites, and you don't understand really what that is in reference to. And uh, if you look at America before the New Deal, before the New Frontier, before the Great Society, uh, we have this idea that the world was all dark and dangerous and heartless and there were hordes of Americans starving in the streets and there was no place to go if you had something bad happen to you. And we couldn't have that. That would be terrible. This must have been a frightful place to live without EBT cards. Uh but in the article, it goes on to say, but in a culture that revered individual responsibility and regarded being uh, on the dole as a shameful formal charity was almost always a last resort. Typically, people who hit tough times would first dip into their savings. They would go to their families. They would go to their churches. They would go to their neighbors and their friends. But, of course, this day and age, you don't really need friends. You just need acquaintances and party goers. Uh, you don't really need people who would sacrifice for you. I remember a story uh, when I visited my uh, grandparents' hometown years ago, and I stayed with my grandmother when I wasn't working out on the farm. And uh, there was I had to take something back to the store, and the guy just didn't want any... No doubt, no question about it. He said, no, no. That's okay, you know, and I was saying, well, I just was letting you know that something seemed to be wrong with this. And he said, oh, no. He says, for your grandmother, she can have anything she wants. And he told me a story. He said that when he was growing up, he was younger than his, uh, uh, he was older than me, but he was younger, a lot younger than my grandmother. But when he was growing up, his dad had owned the store before him. And he said that of all the people that came back and paid up their bill 100% during the Depression, because they carried lots of the people, they provided them with food and they carried them. They didn't charge them until they were able to pay. And, of course, they lost a lot because a lot of people didn't pay. But that was their way. You know, they had a business where people had to eat. And so they actually provided food and this trusted the people to come back and pay. And all the people during the Depression, it was my grandfather who came and paid up his bill entirely, often doing so at great inconvenience to themselves. And he says, if your grandmother needs anything, this store will provide it no matter what. That's the bonds of society. That's the society before EBT cards. I can guarantee you that the stores are not going to be lending you credit when the EBT card runs out. <laughs> they're they're going to say, next, <laughs> and you're going to be without any hope. Um, that was the way society worked. People forewent rent. They didn't always throw out. Sure, there were terrible stories of people being thrown out in the streets. Uh, bankers. 
uh, threw people out of their homes when they weren't able to pay their farm loans. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't the end of the world because there were charitable people out there that were providing all kinds of things. In 1910, the New York State, uh, just as an example, there were 151 private, private benevolent groups uh, who provided care for children. Over 216 who provided care for adults and adults with children. You know, we're talking, you know, three, four hundred, you know, formal, private, benevolent groups. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't all kinds of other people helping out besides, just helping out their neighbor. These are actually benevolent groups. Groups. Uh, if you were homeless in Chicago in 1933, for for another example, you could find shelter at one of the 614 YMCAs or one of its 89 Salvation Army barracks. This is in Chicago alone. Or maybe one of the 75 Goodwill Industry dormitories. Dormitories. All set up by private charities. We're talking thousands of places you could go and receive charity and help. Personalized help. YMCA. What is that? Young Men Christian Association? This was to do with being a Christian. This is how we took care of the needy. This is pure religion. This is how we did it. If you Just the charity directory took as many as a hundred pages to list and describe the numerous voluntary agencies. These are agencies that sought to alleviate misery. And combat every imaginable emergency. Hundred pages of these listings. This is back then. Today, 95% of our poor own a color TV set. I mean, you, I can, I could show you recording after recording after recording of people who are on the dole who don't need to be. I, I can name you people that I know personally that are on the dole, that are simply just too lazy to work. They think they're owed a living. And the fact is, we could do a much better, more efficient job of charity if we were still like we were before the 20th century. The 20th century has moved our nation to a point where government is to supply you with every need. And you have moved back into the bondage of Egypt. Which brings us back to Genesis 20:20. 20, 20. Moses said unto the people, "Fear not, for God is come to prove you." Okay, you see hard times coming. We hear it in the news: inflation, depression, joblessness, people losing their homes. Millions upon millions of people lost their homes. Millions of people lost their life savings. Millions of people are in a strangling economy. Very difficult times. But you don't care. You're not out there starting philanthropic organizations. You're not out there building the YMCA. And I don't even know if that's the answer. Because the spirit of what brought those things about voluntarily is almost dead in America. Because we don't know what religion is. We think praising and worshiping God is singing songs and saying words in a church building that is far too lavish and expensive. The church is not a building. It's a network of people who actually care about each other. 
In Deuteronomy 23, we see, And shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. We're in a battle of ideas where your fears are alleviated by government programs that are financed at the expense of your neighbor. And fear is going to come on you in a big way because your ministers in these religious programs run by the government, because that's how they take care of their needy and their, their widows and orphans. It's not pure religion. It is very spotted by the world. It's very controlled by the constitutional order and system of government. That's what that word world means when they say unspotted by the world. That's what pure religion is to take care of the needy of your society unspotted by the world. And you don't do that. You go to church and sing. Shame on you. You should be afraid because God is going to come up in your face and say workers of iniquity to you and all the people that go to your church because you're not taking care of the needy the way you used to in this country when it was a free nation. You don't do it. That's the problem. It is not the leaders that you elect. It's the fact that you have been slothful in the ways of Christ, in the ways of pure religion, in the ways of Moses, in the ways of Abraham. I don't care if you're a Muslim, if you're a Christian. These are labels you put on yourself to justify you as you are. Or a Jew, it doesn't matter. If you are not taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity, then you will be afraid. Because there is no faith in you. You are not walking in the ways of God Almighty. You know, go read your Koran. It talks all about that. In the Koran, it actually tells you in a way that you can understand that your sacrifice must be distributed to the poor before you eat any of it yourself. You must give it away before you eat of it. Same as the Passover. Same as the Jews were told. And same as Christ told us. The message has been the same. But you have your religions and you believe in your religions. But your religions aren't even pure religions. They aren't doing what Abraham did. You're not setting up living altars upon which to sacrifice to take care of the needy of your society. And so therefore, when somebody is uh, overrun or, or robbed or are set upon by an out-of-control government agency or by thieves and robbers or by rapists. You don't do nothing. It's not your business because you didn't make it your business. And when you cry out, it won't be your neighbor's business either. And they won't come to your aid. And they won't start a hundred pages of philanthropic organizations to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity because they don't care about you because you didn't care about them and God isn't going to care about you he's going to tell you go and cry unto the people that gave you your EBD card go and cry unto the ministers who have delivered you social security at the expense of your neighbor go and cry unto your non-voluntary society that binds you into Egypt 
Because I will not hear you in that day. That's what God said. That is what the message of Christ is. He died that you might be saved, but if you're not going to go His way, if you're going to go the ways of the world, I mean, how many people know the quotes in the Bible where it says you are not to be like the benefactors, the princes who call themselves benefactors, who exercise authority one over the other. But that's how you take care of your needy. That's how you take care of your needs. And Christ said, it is not to be that way with you. And your church has got you singing and you don't even see that this is it. You've abandoned the ways of Christ. You're a worker of iniquity. Your real ministers go to house to house and force your neighbor to contribute so that you can have welfare. Public school is welfare. You take welfare if you send your kids to public school. Don't tell me, oh, I don't take welfare. If you send your kids to public school, you're taking welfare. You say, well, how else am I going to educate my children? Gather together with other people who want to follow the ways of Christ. And start homeschooling your children. And working together as teams to homeschool your children. If you don't do that, why would God hear you? You will be afraid. Isaiah 35.4 Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Do you think the gods that you elect, the ruling judges that you elect, will save you? Do you think they will care for you? Joel 2.21 Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will be do, excuse me, will do great things. Will he do them for you? He's also said he he will not hear your prayers. Why? Because you elected Saul, he says, go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen for yourself, because I will not hear you in that day. This is when you decided to have a king who could rule over you. You are not electing leaders. You are electing rulers. You are under the law. You're just not under the law of the God. You're under the laws of the God's many. I, I, I would, again, I would laugh if it wasn't so tragic when people say, oh, we're not under the law anymore. Sound bites. Sound bite religions. You don't even know what you're saying. You're under the law. You're just not under the Ten Commandments. You're under the Ten Thousand Commandments. Ten Hundred Thousand Commandments. Thou shalt wear a safety belt. Thou shalt drive on the right-hand side of the road. Thou shalt stay under this speed limit. Thou shalt pay me this much of your income. Thou, those are the laws you are under. And your salvation is not going to come from the God of heaven. You have divorced him and married the gods of the world. And they, you elect them to make laws for you. Because somebody told you the kingdom of God is not at hand, then you have to wait for it to come. You don't have to seek it daily. Where did they get that? Christ said the kingdom of heaven is hand. Go ye and seek the kingdom of heaven and all else shall be given unto you. Not an EBT card. Not social security. That's not, that doesn't come from heaven. 
That comes from your neighbor. And that comes from the ministers who exercise authority one over the other. But it's not to be that way with you if you're going to follow Christ. But you haven't been following Christ because your preachers haven't been preaching Christ. They've been preaching a watered-down false Christ. And you believe in that false Christ. They say He is here. He's just going to save you because you say the magic words. You don't have to do the deeds. But Jesus says, not those who say, but those who do. But they say, not those who do, those who say. They are antichrist. And you're tithing to them. And you think you're saved. And he's going to say, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. Matthew 10.28 and fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And your souls are being destroyed because you're not walking in the ways of God. You're not walking the ways of Christ. Christ came to serve. Do you go to church to serve your neighbor? They call it service. What was the church service today? I didn't see any service. I saw singing. I saw preaching. I didn't see any service. Oh, you want oh you mean you want us to actually take care of people? Oh no, you gotta go to the government who exercises authority one over the other. We're not in the charity business anymore. Oh, we do a little token charity to make ourselves feel good, but we're not gonna really actually take care of the widows and orphans and needy of our society. You're supposed to go to the world, to the constitutional orders and systems of government that you created for yourself and cry out to the elected leaders who are going to provide you with those benefits. Guess what? God's not going to come up in your face. Israel had to learn during very hard times to repent, turn around, and go back to the ways of God where they filled each other's water flasks, where they took care of their neighbor during famines and pestilence and earthquakes and all these sort of things. And those things are coming upon you. And you're not ready. But you can get ready. But you've got to repent. You've got to turn around. Seek the ways of faith, not the ways of force. If you live by the ways of force, if you want to force your neighbor so that you can have public schools, that's welfare. That's enriching yourself at the expense of your neighbor. That is the antithesis of Christ's message, the antithesis of Moses' message, the antithesis of Abraham's message, who would not even take a buckle from the king. He would not take it from the people. He didn't say he gave that buckle back to the king. He gave the people their freedom. They could go back to Sodom and Gomorrah where in a time of affluence they weakened the poor. They did not strengthen the poor because that's what's happened. Your society is weak and should be afraid for the day of calamity will come upon you and you are not ready and God will not hear you because you have decided it's okay to exercise authority over your neighbors so that you could have free health care and free 
education and free fire departments and free police departments because you don't care about the weightier matters, which we talked about earlier, but I didn't list them off. How many went and looked up weightier matters in their Bibles while we were talking? What are they? If we could have all my regular listeners, they they could probably recite them back. Uh, we have a show coming up here with uh, Wilson uh, Waynesville show that we recorded when we were speaking in Waynesville. It's actually several hours. But it's been edited down and, and you hear me say, what are the weightier matters? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And then when they started repeating it again and we all said it together, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Pastors don't even remember and they don't even know what that means. Oh, but we're not under the law. Yeah, you're under the law. You're just under, you're not under the Ten Commandments because the laws you're under, they number in the thousands and tens of thousands and they say it's okay to kill your unborn children. They say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. It's okay to make covenants with men who call themselves gods, ruling judges. They say that's okay and that's the law you're under. And that's why you're a worker of iniquity. And you can't just get out from underneath that by waving your hands or by saying magic words. you got to actually repent. You can't get just dunked in water. Those who just get dunked in water, that's the all-wet religion. you got to actually repent, turn around and go the other way. And we'll show you how to do that at hisholychurch.org. Join the network. Meet other people who are beginning to do that. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about fear and faith and the fact that with fear is evidence that there is no faith. Just like when there's darkness, that's the evidence that there is no light. And 
That's the difference. If you don't have faith, if you don't live by faith, you're not going to know what to do when it's time to do it. Because God will not guide you in that way. I didn't understand when I was growing up. I just lived that way where I kind of knew God kind of guided me. There was an intuitive understanding. When I became afraid, I didn't know what to do. Now, why did I become afraid? Well, pride brings fear. Fear brings anger, judgment. This is why Christ is telling us, judge not. You will judge if you don't have faith. So, how do you get more faith? What do you do to obtain more faith? You have to live by the revelation, the daily revelation of what should you do. God gives you the opportunity to do righteousness, because that's what we're supposed to be seeking. The kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God, instead of by all those other gods of this world. Those gods many that Paul talks about, those ruling judges that Paul talks about, who exercise authority one over the other. If you don't want to be ruled by them, then you must be ruled by God in your heart. And He is not going to rule you with force. He is going to allow you to choose His way. He's going to show you, divinely show you, wake you up, open your eyes and say, you should do this. Very quietly. Still small voice. Very quietly. You should do this. And you're going to say, I don't want to do that. Or you're going to say, okay. And you're just going to do it. And this is going to build faith. If you act upon what God is showing you, faith will grow. If you don't act upon what God is showing you, God will show you less. You have to turn around and realize that God will guide you. He can guide every one of you. His Spirit is flowing all around us. We talked previous shows about parallel dimensions and heaven and hell and quantum theory and string theory and all these kinds of things. And uh, the reason why we talk about that is so you can see that there's an actual structure to creation and life. And you have to be very careful that you don't get carried away with the theology, the eschatology, and miss the simplicity of the kingdom of God. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It is not love of your neighbor to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Whether your welfare, like I said, public school, that's welfare. Government services, that's services. But Christ preached a government. A government where the services were paid by faith, hope, and charity. And we gave the examples in a previous show of all the charities that existed back in 1910. Thousands and thousands and thousands of organized formal charities supported by free will donations. To say nothing of the churches. To say nothing of the individual charity in the streets day to day with neighbor and landlords and and, uh, stores and communities. We gave you examples. It was commonplace. Commonplace that people would help one another. They formed communities. And those communities created invisible bonds. 
that held them together. If you ran out of food, would your neighbor bring food to your house? In the local community here, local community, if somebody gets sick, the biggest problem they have is what am I going to do with all the food that everybody's going to bring? And we've fortunately got a little more organized so that we're a little bit more careful about that. And <laughs> we don't burden them with all this extra food they can't eat anyway. <laughs> but in bigger the bigger the city, the less you see that. It's still around. But it's being choked out by the weeds of society. The weeds of society are those people who think the government is going to pay for it. The government is going to do it. The government is the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And no one following Christ should be looking to them for a solution. Because they have none. Jesus says, Fear not more than once, but fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not in 2,000 years. He says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. But you're not to be like the princes of the other nations. They were a government of the people, for the people, and by the people that took care of the free needs of society, the charitable needs of society, with real charity, not by force. This is what John the Baptist was doing. And I repeat this over and over again. Because the Bible repeats it over and over again. Christ repeated it over and over again. Moses, Gideon, Abraham, I'm not going to rule over you. How do you create a society that operates on faith, hope, and charity. How are you going to do it if all you do is sing and repeat words in your churches and wave your hands? You're going to wave your hands in our church? You better have a tool in it so you can do some real service because it isn't love to talk about love. It's love to do love. Are you taking care of the needy of your society, of your congregation? Or are you sending your congregation to the men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority one over the other? If you are, you should be afraid. Because God will not hear you. Fear not is for those who will listen to God and act upon what He says. Luke 3, 7 then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Where are you going to go? A fellow I mentioned before, Blake uh, Sawyer, who uh, was on coast to coast and telling everybody to move out of America. No, move out of Babylon. Move your hearts out of Babylon. Get out of Babylon. Get your heart and mind out of Babylon thinking and get it into kingdom thinking. Because if you don't, no matter where you go, there you are. All alone, without Christ. 
One of the great delusions is that somehow or other you're saved because you say you accepted Jesus. He warned you against that stuff. You have to be doers of the Word. You won't be able to do enough. He's going to have to run out and save you because of the calamity that's coming. is far beyond your ability. But if you aren't working in that direction, and America has stopped working in that direction, that is the problem. It's not who you elect. You go elect anybody you want. You're not going to change the course of your nation by electing one man, leader. The leaders you have are evidence of where your heart is at. You are a divided people. Divided from the wisdom of God. And without that, you don't live by faith. You will live by fear. Matthew 10.23 But when they persecute you in the cities, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel, it says, till the Son of Man be come. Well, they have gone over the cities of Israel. <laughs> it's already come. Yeah, we have so many. We won't get into that and explain why you are under such a strong delusion in that area because we'll get off the subject. But the reality is Christ said to wait in Jerusalem. They said, when, it, when is the kingdom coming? They said, wait in Jerusalem. They did that. Ten days later, they received the power. And authority, and they came out preaching, there is another king, one Jesus. They came out preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, and seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. It's not a place, it's not a geographical place. It's a way. That's what they were called, a way. They were still called Jews, but they were operating a different way. They were operating the way that Moses said, and Abraham said. They made living altars of ministers who they contributed to in order to take care of their daily ministration. The widows and orphans were being neglected. They were Why? Because that was their job. They weren't going to depend on the free bread offered by Augustus or by Herod. That wasn't free bread. It was the bread that they had taken away. If you read our articles on Corbin, you'll realize why the Corbin and the Pharisees made the Word of God to none effect. It was a social welfare system. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now we think of that fornication as simply an act of sexual intimacy. But that isn't. That isn't what they're talking about there. They use that as a metaphor, as an example. If you go back and you read a little bit more, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's just read it. I have no idea. I can't remember what it says. I don't know the Bible by numbers. I know it by principles. Dear any of you having a matter against another, go to law before unjust and not before the saints. Who are the saints? The saints are those that are brought out separate. They were the Levites of that day. It was the church. The saints. The holy. The word there is hagios. 
which means the holy. Let's explore. Let's see what is the word for bring it before the unjust. Why would you bring a matter before the unjust? Who are the unjust? I mean, are you going out looking for criminals to bring the matter to? Well, who would be a criminal? Someone who coveted their neighbor's goods. Someone who made covenants with men who said they are the ruling judges, the gods. Why are you going to the courts of Rome? The courts of Herod? Why aren't you going to your ministers and dealing with the weightier matter? Go to the law? It says, go to the law? What word did they have there for law? Is it nomos that you'd normally see translated law? No. It's krino, which means judge. Eighty-eight times it's translated judge. Seven times it's translated determine. Five times it's translated condemn. Twice it's translated go to the law, and one of those is here. And once, or twice it's translated call into question. Twice it's translated esteem, and it has eight other ways of being translated. And it actually means to separate or to put asunder, to pick out, to select, to choose, approve. To go to the law before who? The saints or the unjust? The holy or those who do contrary to the ways of Christ? What is contrary to the ways of Christ? Not operating by faith, but operating by force. You're in the wrong court. You shouldn't be there. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? What world? There are five different words that are translated into the single English word world. Which one are they talking about here? The one that means an apt and a harmonious arrangement or constitution or government. That's what it means, government. We shall judge them. How do we judge them? We drag them into court? No. We go the ways of Christ. And when they come to persecute us, they will be judged by Christ, by His holy angels. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things pertain to this life? Don't think of that judgment, though, as sitting up behind a big desk with a gavel, passing sentence on people. If you do right, if you listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart, God's power will go with you. And God will judge. And you will be an instrument of that judgment, but you will not be ruling over others. You won't need to. God will rule through you. And God will be with you. But if you're coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of the institutions which you have created for yourselves and the men you have elected for yourself to rule over your neighbors so that you can be secure, you can forget it. God's not going to hear you. He's not going to be there for you. He's not saved you and He's not intending to save you because you rule over your neighbor. You do not forgive your neighbor. You say, I gave, now you have to give to me. I gave my sacrifice into Social Security, which is not an insurance program. I gave it in to help the widows and orphans of my day. Now I'm going to make people give to me. Because I'm not going to be forgiving. 
I'm going to rule over you through the men that I elect who exercise authority one over the other. And you think you're following Christ? I'm sorry. You are so far from Him. And I have to tell you that. Because I hope that you might be saved. But you have to repent. And you have to forgive. They owe you nothing. You gave. You supported. Fine. Now take care of yourselves. You can't take care of yourself. Go to church. If your church says go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. Get out of there. That's the church of Satan. That's the church of the adversary. That's a lying church. And if they won't repent. Then shake the dust off your feet and don't go back. But you can go there and sit in there and try to bear witness to others until they throw you out. That's fine. Because you may be the only light that has come into that church because your pastor sure is not bringing it in. He's a worker of iniquity. He is a prophet of Satan. He says, if you need any help, you go to the men who exercise authority. I don't want you practicing pure religion. I want you tithing to me. That's what he's saying. And he needs to repent. If he wants to hear me say it in his face, I will say it in his face. I speak to your shame, goes on to say in Corinthians. Well, let's, let's read verse 4. If then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Whoa. <laughs> What does that mean? Let's take a look at some of those words. The word esteem. Athenio. Uh, the least despised. The least set at naught. They're actually asking you for... You know, we have that word esteemed and in the King James that we misunderstand that. Least esteemed has to do with uh, those that are least despised. In other words, those that they think are, are the best. Take it to them. In the church, not in Rome. Roman law, civil law, Roman civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. Do you have a church that deals in those kinds of issues, tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith? Or does your church just make you think you're saved when you have nothing in common with the ways of the early church? Are you, is your church the entire social welfare system of your community? No, you've gone out and create, uh, committed fornication with unbelievers. You eat of their table, of the meats sacrificed to idols. I mean, here's a quote. If sinners entice thee, let's all have one pur purse. Consent not. Everybody reads. Psalms 23, they should read Proverbs 23. If a ruler invites you to sit and eat at his table, in other words, take of his benefits, and ye be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat, for he serves deceitful dainties. What should have been for your welfare becomes a snare. You're not supposed to be that way. Old and New Testament tells us this. But your preachers don't tell you this. I say, oh yeah, go eat at those tables. And then when you're done, come here and tithe to me. Because I'm going to make you feel good about yourself and I'm going to tell you you're saved so you don't have to be afraid. 
even though I know deep down in my heart you're not saved, and I just want your money. I've actually had preachers who realize what I'm talking about is true. And they say, I can't mention this in my church because we will lose revenue. They tell you right out. Now, they tell me right out. I don't know they'll tell you right out. But they tell me they worry about losing revenue. Well, I'm telling you right out. Because I ain't got no revenue to lose. <laughs> because I believe the gospel is the only hope. You have to repent. Of what? Coveting your neighbor's goods. Making covenants with them that want to exercise authority one over the other. Why did you do that? Because you don't really have faith. You have to wait upon the Lord to give you faith. And in verse 5, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Unbelieving in what? They don't believe in faith, open charity. They believe in forcing their neighbors to contribute to their welfare. Verse 7, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to the law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Take wrong. They're going to give you a ticket? Pay it. You got a license? Pay it. You got a contract? Pay it. You can go in there and tell them, take the day out and see what you can learn, but realize that you've given an appearance of evil because you have the license, you haven't obeyed the rules. You have to obey the rules of the unrighteous mammon if you're a part of the unrighteous mammon, but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, which is not just flipping over a pancake. It's turning around the way that you are going and start going the other way. Start taking care of one another in real congregations. Congregations that come to serve, not to have you sit down in a chair for two and three hours and listen to me. I, I admit that's what we did when we went on the tour, but I was there for a short time. They don't have to listen to me this week. And I welcome questions. I welcome interactions. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? Why are you going to these courts of unbelievers? I tell you, if you turn around in the rest of your life, they won't even want you in their courts. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. You don't even know where all your brethren is. You haven't found them. How do you know that when you take these things from these benefactors who exercise authority, you're not also taking them from the brethren? Because they will take from the brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, which we're talking about fornicators and idolaters, the ones who eat at the table of the king, who make agreements with unbelievers, who make covenants with them to get their benefits. Those are fornicators. Those are idolaters. Nor adulterers. That's the churches who do it. Why do you think there's such a rise of homosexuality in the world today? Because 
we have gone away from the family. We have gone away from community. We've gone away from taking care of one another. You don't need one another. You don't need family. You just need self-gratification. It tells you in the Bible that people will be given over to that manner of action. They can't help it now. They have gone so far down the road. This is evidence of what they have become. That they have already turned their back on God. And you didn't do that with Obamacare. You did that with public schools. You turned your back on God. Where you suddenly thought it was okay to take your neighbor's house away from him if he doesn't pay into your child's education. That's the law today that you are under. And you are under that law because you've accepted it and your churches have not spoken out. And every real church of Jesus Christ should be speaking out against public schools. You should not be creating public schools. You certainly shouldn't be seeking the benefit of them besides the fact that you get a terrible education full of lies and deceptions. But heck, you're getting that in church. It goes on to say, nor thieves, nor covetous. You can't inherit the kingdom if you're seeking the benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You cannot inherit the kingdom because that is a covetous act and you are drunk on benefits. So it says, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Shall we look up some of those words? Revilers? Extortioners? What does that mean? Revilers and extortioners. Are you one of those? Are you a part of a system that does that? You have to turn around. And that's what we're trying to show you how to do. But you have to come together. Not forsaking the coming together. You have to come together because why do you go to church? You go to church to serve others. If you don't go to find others, how are you going to serve? You're just serving yourself. Then you don't love others as much as you love yourself. You just love yourself and you want to save yourself. And that is not going to cut it in the kingdom. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by His Spirit of our God. But only if you really are living according to Jesus Christ, not just magic words. You have to actually be doing it. And you can't do it unless you come together. So you need to come together. Going to another country... You're just going to be in another country of the wicked. Yeah, maybe there's not as many wicked there. I don't know. Maybe there are more. you got to find out what the wicked is. Well, we'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom and we'll talk about some of these things in greater detail. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're talking about fear and fleeing. And it said, as I said, that you were to flee this fornication. But it also said you were to flee idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10.14. And if we go back in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10, it talks about other things. It says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lust. 
What did they last? They were talking about uh, overthrown in the wilderness. What they were doing. The Golden Cap was a central bank. It was called a reserve fund in most city states. It's where people put their wealth and it bound them together because their wealth was in one place and they exchanged amongst themselves something that only had value amongst themselves. It had no real value. If you go on the U.S. government website, uh, or at least the Federal Reserve website, they tell you Federal Reserve notes have no value. All the gold and silver is supposedly in the treasury. I'm not even sure it's there anymore. Neither are they. <laughs> they haven't had an audit. Because so, you don't even get to see the golden calf. And the gold and silver you might have in your pocket, You, if you're a U.S. citizen, you don't have a right to. You own that by permission. Been that way since back in 33. Yeah, they repealed H.J.R. 192, but then they got public law 95-147, I think it is. Or is. You don't own it. You don't have lawful title. You have legal title. Legal title doesn't include the beneficial interest. All things which we can explain, and we do explain in other shows. But the point is, is that you need, you are under idolatry. Neither be ye idolaters, it says, as were some of them as it is written. The people who sat down to eat and drink. Eat and drink what? Benefits of this new society that they had created. And rose up to what? Play. You guys have been playing for years. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpent. Neither murmur ye. You have to understand what was actually going on. The system of Corbin was a system of social welfare. But the Corbin of the Pharisees always was that way. It means sacrifice. But the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God the none effect because it was not based on loving thy neighbor. It was based on force and compulsion, entitlements. The world before entitlements did it by faith, open charity. If you don't do that, you will not have faith. You will have fear. So flee idolatry. Flee these systems of idolatry. Don't worry about fleeing the country. Because if you don't flee the idolatry, he says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Stop looking to these rulers who can exercise authority to provide you with your security. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. The cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? In other words, if you get your welfare from us, who provide it through faith, hope, and charity in these free distributions of goods to the truly needy, to take care of the true needy of our society, you are blessed with the blood of Christ. If you go to the men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other, which Christ said you were not to be like, and you pray to them for your daily bread, your social welfare, your free education, your free health care, then you are eating of the table of demons, of Satan, 
of the adversary of Christ because they do not operate by faith, hope, and charity. You are not a Christian. You are not saved. You are condemned and under condemnation. And you have to repent. And you have to forgive them, no matter how much you paid in, you have to forgive them what they owe you. And say, I, I want no more entitlements. Now, I know a lot of you are in a bad situation where you cannot do without that. But you can turn around and start going and edifying the kingdom and start gathering together with others and make it... You, you've got limited time anyway. Start making it possible that others will seek the kingdom. You can support this ministry or one of the other ministries that we're. you can become in contact with on, on the net. But you've got to start supporting something other than your own greed. Because greed leads to fear. Fear leads to hate. And hate leads to judgment. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? If you take the benefits, you're partakers of the altar. But in 17 it says, For we being many are one bread, one body. For we all are partakers of that one bread. We go to church for communion, for the daily bread, the needs of our society. You have turned it into a ritual. You do not know Christ. In the early church in 150 AD, they brought out sacks of bread as the Eucharist of Christ. And they had men who would take it to the homes of those who could not come when there was great need. Famine in the land. There will be famine again. Who are you going to call? The Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary of Christ or the Federal Emergency Management Agency of Unbelievers who do not believe in living by faith but by force and entitlements. What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, the other nations sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils because their table is a snare of recompense. What should have been for your welfare at their table is a snare. Paul says this. David says this over and over again. But you think that, what do you think they're talking about here? Where do you pray for your daily bread? To God? To those who have God in their hearts? To provide you by faith, hope, and charity? Or to men who go to the law to force you to contribute to their welfare? Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Actually, the, the word wealth there is added. 
Seek not to be served, but to serve others is what he's really saying. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that's actually when they had their sacrifices, they would sell the meat to provide for the priests. But that's not the way we do it. We live by faith, hope, and charity. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if we act and do according to the ways of the Lord, we have nothing to fear. But if we do not do according to the ways of the Lord, darkness will be upon us and we will have much to fear. First Timothy 6.11 Which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, goodliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Is that what you're following after? Second Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Not them that call on Rome or Caesar who do not believe in peace to their neighbor but force. Your churches are false. They're in apostasy. They can change. We'll talk about some of those ministers in another show. But we need to understand where we have gone in order to get back. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, not resist in fighting against. And he will flee from thee. Resist the ways of the devil, the adversary. Start taking care of one another. And you, the beauty of this is you can just start. You don't have to do it all today. But you may have to do it all tomorrow. So you better start today. Start turning around. Don't put it off. Gather together with others. Repent in your churches. And if your churches will not repent, create new congregations of people who will. Exodus your heart from their ways. And God will be there for you no matter what country you're in. But if you just flee to save yourself, you flee without Christ. In Revelations 1.17 it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me fear not I am the first and the last Christ was the way it was in the beginning and the Christians were that way and in the end that will all that will be so you need to turn and go his ways the ways we used to be in this country where we were Minutemen for each other. We came when there was need for each other. In sickness. Or in health. Or in calamity. Or in difficulty. We were there for each other. Because we were Minutemen for Christ. Instead of wait a minute men. I got to go do my thing first. Wrong approach. But it's what we see every day. And we need to change our ways. And go another way. Here's a quote from John Locke. Lived from 1632 to 1704 and was well read by early Americans. Whenever the legislatures endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people, 
or to reduce them to slavery under arbitrary power, they put themselves into a state of war with the people who are thereupon absolved from any further obedience. But it is not an arbitrary power that has taken away your rights. It is because you sat down with unbelievers and said, let's have one purse. Let's elect rulers who can take away from my neighbor so that I may be safe, so that I may be secure, so that I may benefit, so that I may gain. You may take from my neighbor to make me safe. You said that was okay. You said it when you sent your kids to public school. You said it when you sought to have a a fire department. You said it when you wanted to have police protection by taxation, by forced offerings. You are so far from the kingdom. Do you know that the most common form of government taxation was always voluntary? A hundred years ago in Oregon, most of the taxes were voluntary. Someone just recently voted so that they would have inheritance tax and keep it in Oregon. And he said, oh, and I says, you voted for that? And he said, yeah. You have to look at, we need the revenue stream. I said, so you're going to take it from widows and orphans? He doesn't realize that if he were to be killed in an automobile accident right now, his children would lose the business they have. They would have to sell it at a loss. Prices are down now because of the economy, which is another whole story. They wouldn't be down if we were a Christian nation. Even if we were just a Jewish nation following after Moses. But the Jews don't follow after Moses. Israel doesn't follow after Moses. It has unjust weights and measures. It has debt. It has usury all over the place. It doesn't do what Moses said. That doesn't have anything to do with Moses. And most Muslims have very little to do with the Koran. Not that I advocate the Koran. I certainly know that they don't have anything to do with Abraham and the ways of Abraham. Most of them. Now, I can't say about all of them. I can't say about all Christians. But most Christians are not following the ways of Christ, the ways of Moses, and the ways of Abraham. And Moses and Christ were in agreement. And Abraham was called a man of faith. But you don't live by faith. You live by force. You live by the sword of your government to force your neighbor to provide you with what you want. Health care clinics. Health care. Free education. Free food. Free bread. Your communion is your EBT card. That's what you get your communion with. Or your Social Security card. That's your Corbin card. That isn't the way Christ wants. Now, I know that's a hard message. But it's going to fail. That system's going to fail. And you're not ready for it. You need to turn around. The people choose to take away the property of their neighbors so that they can be free. That's being greedy for gain. And you are captured in the very net of your own making. You eat the deceitful dainties and meats of kings with great appetite and you are snared and you need to repent you need to turn around you need to go another way let us walk honestly as in the days not in rioting 
and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, and taking from your neighbor to provide you with what you want is not love. He that loveth knoweth not, excuse me, who, he who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifestation, the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, into the constitutional order of Rome, that we might live through Him. We might. But if we don't go His ways, we will not live. He will not hear us. And we will go under judgment. And we will go under abominations. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of, for our sins. But we have to stop sinning. Beloved, if God be love, be, excuse me, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Do we? Or are we covetous? You cannot love and be covetous of your neighbor, especially if you send ministers to your neighbor's house to take away from your neighbor. Christ was very political. That's why Christians were in so much trouble with governments. Not that they broke the law, but they had another king. And they followed another way. But you don't follow Christ unless you are gathering together to form a network of people who take care of one another and the needs of one another. The Amish do this amongst the Amish to some degree. And they are exempt from these new systems because they have a system in place. Do you have a system in place? Do you want somebody else to build it for you? To make it happen for you? You just sit there and when you guys got it all built, let me know and I'll come and live in it. It doesn't work that way. You must edify the kingdom in your life by your own personal sacrifice and cooperation and forgiveness with others. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us His Spirit of service of one to another. Not of going to church, but of actual service to one another. You don't need insurance. You don't need welfare. You don't need public education. You don't need these benefits. In this community, we have a fire department. It's a volunteer fire department. The buildings, the, the trucks, everything, volunteer. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The constitutional order and system of Rome. That was the world. And it should be our world too. 
that He will save us if we turn around and repent. And electing a new leader to exercise authority over our neighbors is not repentance. Although I know that some of you were trying to elect people because you wanted to go back more in the direction of Jesus Christ, I want you to actually go to Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So you can't just confess that. You actually have to have his ways in you. Is he your ruling judge, or are you out there electing other ruling judges to rule over your neighbor and do things the way you think they ought to be? Or are you being the kingdom of God? Are you taking care of one another? Are you providing for one another? Are you gathering together with one another? In free assemblies, not free associations, free assemblies. Bound together. Unbreakably bound together by faith, hope, and charity. Is that what you're doing? Or are you doing something else? Because if you're doing something else, you're not doing what Christ said. We need to change. We need to go another way. That word confess. Whosoever shall confess. To say the same thing as another. To agree with. To assent. Do you agree with Jesus that the Corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect? Do you understand now that the Corbin of the Pharisees was a social welfare system where you had to pay in under penalty of law to take care of the needy of your society according to the ways of the Corbin of Rome and the Corbin of the Pharisees? It wasn't that way originally in Rome, but it was at that time. It wasn't that way originally in Israel, but it was at that time in Judea. And it is that way for you. And that is what you have to repent. And you cannot repent of that unless you are actually serving one another. In real churches that take care of all the social welfare of your community. And that's going to take some sleeves rolled up and some hands working for God. It's going to take some personal sacrifice and a whole lot of forgiveness of one another. And it's not going to need people sitting there preaching at you and thumping you yeah, on the head, it's going to take you actually loving the ways of Christ so that He can dwell in you and you in Him. First John 4.16 And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. So how do you confess Jesus? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Because we live in the shadow of death today. We live on a precipice of death. Luke 11.36 If thy body... If thy body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light. As when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it in under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light 
to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See your good works. Is that where we're at or not? Till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.